Team New Zealand's pre-America's Cup regatta in Saudi Arabia has started sinking with the refusal of American Magic to race in Jeddah. The syndicate who compete under the New York Yacht Club has applied to the America's Cup arbitration panel hoping to avoid financial and points penalties for not competing. An extensive application cites US State Department travel advice which urges Americans to reconsider travel and previous attacks on Americans. Paul Sabatakis, the New York Yacht Club Commodore, says the risks are unacceptably higher for a team's name American Magic registered and flying a US flag-themed mainsail. This blow comes on top of discontent within New Zealand's yachting fraternity after the event we won was moved to Spain. I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, in chasing the money, is Team New Zealand losing the country? An America's Cup decision to hold one of the regattas in Saudi Arabia has drawn criticism from human rights groups. Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch have listed numerous violations of human rights in the kingdom. I'm appalled. I think it's just rubbish. They shouldn't be going. I'm, I'm actually really disappointed as a New Zealand sailor that our name's going to be attached to engaging with a regime like this. It's not right. It should be called Team Something Else. Team New Zealand boss Grant Dalton has said the Jeddah event starting on November the 30th will be good for the sport. You know, there's, there's, there's certain issues that Saudi Arabia is dealing with and coming, you know, coming forward with um, is nothing that's hidden. You can't change from outside and just soapbox. You've got to be inside and, and trying to make a meaningful difference. But one Middle East expert says he's not surprised American magic has pulled out and the move shows Team New Zealand is taking significant risks in aligning itself with the regime of Mohammed bin Salman. I mean, sorry, Grant, but it's either highly naive or slightly arrogant to think that uh, having a yachting race in the Red Sea uh, opposite the unfolding catastrophe in Sudan and in Yemen, uh, famine, and shaking hands with, with this person who has got um, very clear blood on his hands. I, don't, I just don't see how that, who's using who in this situation. Leon Goldsmith is a senior lecturer of Middle East and Comparative Politics at the University of Otago. He says Team New Zealand wouldn't be accused of racism or discrimination if it pulled out now, and it would send a strong signal to the Saudis that they can't purchase their get-out-of-jail-free card by sports washing. Saudi Arabia has been one of the major counter-revolutionary forces across the region, which has been hell-bent on crushing any kind of progressive change. All of the rolling back of protest movements into pro-democracy movements in the Middle East, Saudi's played a big part in this. So what side of this do we want to be? What type of world do we want? But he cautions that we need to be careful about general criticism of a country run on very different cultural lines to ours. In terms of the way that we pitch our critique, uh, we're not criticising Saudi Arabia, we're not criticising Saudi society, we're not criticising conservative Islam or any of those types of broad, generalised, quite frankly, sort of xenophobic type of um, critiques. We need to be very specific that we're critiquing specific acts by specific individuals which are brazenly and blatantly against um, the principles and values that you know, uh, a rules-based order or an international community would, uh, would see as being acceptable. What are some of those specific events? 
So specifically what we're talking about is the the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which has um, been uh, <sighs> swept under the carpet. A U.S. intelligence report has concluded that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman personally approved the murder of the exiled journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. He was killed while visiting the Saudi consulate in the Turkish city of Istanbul. The declassified report says the prince approved a plan to either capture or kill Khashoggi, who had criticised the Saudi regime. It was an absolutely obvious and it was proven that the higher echelons of the Saudi uh, regime was responsible for this. And I think that um, for it to be just basically completely forgotten... And, 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 and ignored, and I think a lot of people were extremely disappointed when Joe Biden, who had said that he was going to um, end this type of impunity for this kind of act. I mean, it, it was basically, in terms of diplomacy and the international rules around the way that we use embassies to carry this out on Turkish soil in Istanbul, was a really major overstep by the Saudi regime, and there should have been some kind of accountability for that. But when Joe Biden under pressure economically and geopolitically to get Saudi on board with uh, the repercussions of the Ukraine war um, in 2021. That kind of was the end of any kind of accountability for this. It's very odd that Team New Zealand is encouraging women, young women, to apply for positions for because they're pushing this new women's regatta and at the same time they're going to a place where women have no rights. Well, well, I mean, I think that there has actually been quite a lot of, um, and I think Grant Dalton pointed to this, of advancement in, in terms of women's rights in recent years, but it's it's come at the cost of an increasingly centralised dictatorship in Saudi Arabia. So this reform is very much the the basis of on, upon the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has based his legitimacy, um, and part of that is distancing himself from the conservative religious establishment in Saudi Arabia. So this has been met by a lot of the youth in Saudi Arabia. He's actually quite popular because he's giving them more freedoms and more more openness in terms of Saudi society. Um, so there has been advances in that respect, and I think those are positive signs. But at the same time. His uh, he has proven that he is increasingly centralising power in terms of anyone who is critical of anything that he proposes and of his his power is, is dealt with very effectively. So I think Jamal Khashoggi was just the only the one that we saw publicly, but I think it's inside Saudi Arabia there is a very deep repression of anyone who dares to actually speak up. So he he was on Twitter recently saying that. Uh, there are many people who seek to thwart Saudi's vision 2030, uh, but they will not be able to touch it. And uh, there is no person on this planet who has the power to fail it. So that's a very kind of sinister threat to anyone who tries to cast any aspersion on his personal plans for how Saudi Ra- the vision of Saudi Arabia will unfold. This is, I mean, at the very least from Dalton, tone deaf, isn't it? But he's he's not alone. I mean, this is the temptation that uh, many big sporting institutions and organisations are going through. Right? We have the, the golf and the Formula One racing, the football and so forth. There's huge and lucrative opportunities to be had. The money on offer from the Saudi-backed venture has lured some of golf's biggest names away from the established PGA Tour. 
Meanwhile, human rights campaigners have accused the Saudi organisers of sports washing, using the event to distract from controversies over the country's record. The figure I've heard that they've paid Team New Zealand just for the, the right to host it is 8 million euros, which would be about 15 million Kiwi. This is Jim Farmer, barrister, yachty, former Team New Zealand director and campaigner to keep the cup in this country where we won it. Having lost that battle last year... Under the cover of darkness, New Zealand's cup became Spain's cup. The 2am announcement confirmed what had long been speculated. The regatta is headed offshore for 2024. Farmer is once again writing about betrayal. Most recently, he's told the Commodore of the Cup holder, the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, that the New York Yacht Club's decision not to compete in Jeddah is one that the club should adopt for its own members. He wants it to claw back some decision-making from Team New Zealand. I believe that the, the squadron is probably unhappy with how Team New Zealand are operating in terms of where they taking first of all, taking the whole event offshore to Barcelona, and now secondly going to Jeddah for one of the preliminary regattas. Why couldn't the Yacht Squadron put its foot down? I mean, have they created a monster in, in Team New um, Zealand? I think, to be fair to the Yacht Squadron, um, they were facing a situation where, where Grant Dalton said to them, if you don't allow me to take the cup offshore to get the money that I believe, he believes, that he needs, then I will be forced to put Team New Zealand into liquidation. Uh, now, if that happened, the Yacht Squadron would then have the responsibility of finding the money to defend the cup. And that was their, as one of the flag officers put it to me, that's a very dark place for the squadron mm. to be in. Because, because basically, because, I mean, the, you know, the Yacht Squadron full of, Amateurs, a lot of them yeah, or it may have business it, it, acumen, but it's a, club. it's a club. They created this entity that would just look after all that. Yes. And now it's by the They created the entity that would look after it, but what they've done, what's wrong, I think, is that they've actually left all the power with the team. And really, it should be ultimately the squadron's decision about things like where the cup is defended. Uh, I think it was a really wrong and bad decision to take it offshore because it was letting down the whole of the New Zealand uh, government, Auckland Council and the whole of the New Zealand population who've supported Team New Zealand financially and emotionally in every other way over a very long period of time. Well, thank you very, very much, New Zealand. OK, to remind us all of its relatively humble origins, let's wind the clock back to those heady days of 1995. Sir Peter Blake and his lucky red socks and Peter Montgomery's most famous line. The America's Cup is now New Zealand's Cup, the most illustrious and elusive of prizes in sailing. International sports' oldest prize leaves the United States, this time to a different down under, New Zealand! It's taken four challenges, 10 years and around $90 million to reach this magic moment. But for the Kiwi sailors, the long, hard slog to success has reaped the ultimate reward. Little old New Zealand, I think that no one uh, thought we'd get anywhere, has just won the America's Cup. It's only the second time in history that it's left America. I think that's pretty damn good. If they had to leave the American shores, I think it, uh, it couldn't go to a nicer place than uh, the city of Sales, Auckland, New Zealand. 
The government's expecting big spin-offs for New Zealand's high-tech industries after Team New Zealand's technology overcame the best that Ford, Boeing and NASA have to offer. At $18 million, New Zealand's investment was tiny compared with the American syndicates, but in defeat, the Americans admit they were outclassed in technology. Quite large sums of money um, by the government and by the Auckland Council, the development of the whole viaduct, which was... The, which was the sort of initiative of Peter Blake when he first won the Cup for New Zealand. Uh, all of that has just been pushed to one side and the Cup taken off to Europe. And when Grant Dalton said, I'm taking it to Barcelona, was there a consolation prize? Uh, the consolation prize was when he told the members of the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron seeking their support at a meeting, a meeting that I was at, was, well, you know, there are these preliminary regattas and we'll have one in Auckland. Uh, now, there isn't going to be one in Auckland because the first one is going to be in Spain, the second one is going to be in Jeddah, and then the third one early next year is going to be in Barcelona. So um, that consolation prize isn't isn't being honoured. Let's get to the Jeddah issue. I mean, it's not a place that's known for its yachting regatta... No, status. It's no. It's in sporting in sporting terms. It's known for sports washing, as it's called, which yeah. is providing hundreds of millions of dollars to to encourage people to go there to put on events to try and gain respectability. And we've seen it with things like horse racing, with with tennis, with golf, and initially with uh, football. Until FIFA said, "No, this is this is too much," and they pulled back out of it. Even FIFA. Even FIFA. Even FIFA, Even of, FIFA. of holding yeah. the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah. And and I guess probably FIFA took the view that they didn't really want the supporters of soccer to be going along and witnessing public executions by beheading day after day after day. It's not a good look. And this is the nub of it, isn't it? You know, a lot of countries around the world do things we're not happy with, yeah. but in Saudi Arabia, it's that's enshrined in their... Government. I think Saudi. I mean, every country can be criticised in terms of human rights or anything else. No country is perfect, but I think Saudi is particularly bad. Particularly bad. Uh, that's not only not only just the, the public executions and the like, but also the sort of um, invasion or the support of the of of war in neighbouring Yemen, which has led to famine, with literally millions of people starving. They've been. Uh, very much contributed to that. Uh, the kidnapping and killing and dismembering of Gasagi, who's a you know, very reputable Washington Post journalist, uh, and then more partic- more generally just the way that uh, women have had virtually no human rights. They weren't even allowed until recently to go and watch a game of football. As or, a spectator. or drive. Or drive. Or do any, or leave the country without a man's permission, and I believe that's still in force. All of that. And women who had sexual relationship out of outside marriage uh, would be stoned to death. And that's what bothers some yachties here. The owner-operator of Great Escape Yacht Charters in the Bay of Islands, Julie Kidman, is angry. The business and sport she's passionate about is heading in this direction. I love watching great sailing and racing and I'm a passionate supporter of New Zealand sailors and the events that they're in. I was extremely disappointed when they took the America's Cup challenge out of New Zealand after we won it. I mean, I was so excited when we won it and then to find out we weren't going to get to defend it on home waters was really disappointed. 
And now I'm absolutely appalled that they are taking an event to Saudi Arabia. What's your basic issue with it? I guess there's probably two. I mean, one is um, I just don't think that we should be supporting a regime which has got such a terrible human rights record. Um, And then secondly, my issue is if there is a team operating under the name Team New Zealand, I think particularly this one, it actually tarnishes the reputation of New Zealand and more specifically, it tarnishes the reputation of New Zealand sailors. Um, Me personally, I'm just really not happy. I think there is genuinely some concern within the sailing fraternity about what this move means for their reputation and their image. And I think there certainly is a risk factor here for Team New Zealand, um, also for that organisation, but also for what it means for New Zealand's international image as well. In some sense, it's really good that we're getting to see uh, closer up the Saudi society and Khaliji and the, the Arabian society, which is very rich and very um, amazing place geographically and socially, culturally, religiously. That's why our critique has to be very focused on those individuals who are uh, committing these types of things which are should not be acceptable in the international community. Um, and so that puts pressure on the the Saudi political elite to say, well, is this the guy, the right person? And this sort of, that's where I think that we need to be sort of like being very consistent. So look at the incidences that really have crossed the line. Precisely. Because I guess the risk and just a general criticism is that, look, this is their people's way of life. It's based on Sharia law. It's been there for thousands of years. What right do we have to come in and say, well, you're not doing things our way, so therefore it's wrong? Precisely. I think we need to be very careful that we don't come across in that sense. Um, And I thought that wouldn't cut through with them at all anyway. But what can happen, and this was something I observed with a little bit of concern leading up to the Football World Cup in Qatar, um, and I was over in the Gulf at the time, um, was that it was basically, it seemed to be from their side that we were just basically didn't like it because it was in an Arab country, because it was in a Muslim country, because it was uh, somewhere that we don't really feel comfortable with. And that actually goes against any critique about human rights. It actually helps them to say, well, this is a Western, arrogant, kind of neo-imperialistic attitude. And that's what we have to be very careful that Saudi is different type of society. They are religious, yes, uh, but they are diverse. And that's not what we're criticising. That's not what we're saying. We should be being very consistent, whether it's in Russia, like the Football World Cup before that, um, or anywhere where we're seeing this very provable, not just making generalisations, but very proven. The Turks and the American intelligence communities both concluded that this person was uh, responsible for a very obvious international political murder. You mean Mohammed bin Salman? Yes, the de facto ruler. Um, So he represents a new Saudi Arabia. He represents a modern, outward-looking, somewhere that they can feel proud of, somewhere that Ronaldo will come and play for their team. So these types of things really boost his popularity. But that shouldn't be an excuse because the the type of things that are happening inside Saudi Arabia now, the repression of activists, is extreme. But what I'm saying is we don't put ourselves up there for all sorts of photo opportunities with the guy who's guilty of these crimes.
At the moment, Emirates Team New Zealand is recruiting sailors to represent it in the women's and youth events to be raced in the weeks leading up to the America's Cup next year. Jim Farmer says it's doing good work here. And that's what just makes the whole Jeddah decision so bizarre. It's just an immoral decision for the team to have the event, an event, an America's Cup event in Jeddah. And it just contrasts with the very good things that Team New Zealand are otherwise doing. So why? Why did it go to Jeddah? Uh, Money. Money. Nothing as crude as that. Does it hurt particularly because when Peter Blake brought the cup home, he did it on the backs of like everyone who bought a pair of red socks. Yes. Um, all the you know, suddenly people who could not afford to sail were interested in sailing. Yes, yes and, and that's exactly right. And and um, New Zealand winning the America's Cup at that time did have the effect of involving, as you say, non-sailors getting interested in sailing, and it had all the flow-on effects of the viaduct being developed the way to, to what we have today. Uh, all of that happened. People got in behind with the, as you say, with the Red Sox program. Um, this last America's Cup that we've just had down here, the wonderful scenes down at the viaduct, people watching on the big screen, people going out on their boats to watch the racing. Uh, and what that really amounted to was huge amount of loyalty being given by New Zealanders to Team New Zealand. And that loyalty has just been, just not been recognised by the decision to, the decisions that are being taken now to go offshore and even worse now to, to make many New Zealanders feel somewhat ashamed of our team going to Jeddah and, and taking part in an event in that place. A lot of people say, well, really it shouldn't be called Team New Zealand if that's how they're going to conduct themselves. I think there's a lot of people that are disappointed and disinterested in America's Cup once they decided not to hold it in New Zealand. Um, I think, unfortunately, these latest actions sort of confirm a lot of people's apathy. Oh, it's just a sport for a few rich people playing and nothing to do with me. And that's sort of something that they have battled against in the last sort of few decades, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, they've done some fabulous stuff. You know, you go back to the days of Sir Peter Blake and the way he engaged all of the general public in New Zealand. Everybody was on board. Everybody was starting to understand what tacking and jibing was and getting excited about a yacht race and they kind of felt like it was our team. And, uh, you know, it feels like these latest moves have just gone back so many years in terms of engagement and thinking and just pushing that sport back into this elitist prerogative of a few rich people. We contacted Team New Zealand for comments but got no response before our deadline. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Jim Farmer, Leon Goldsmith and Julie Kidman. Ka kite anō. Thank you.